0: Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Sri Rajendran. I remember him telling me, Sri, if you scream
1: or shout, I will kill you and no one will care.
0: That and more. But first, do you have any memorable experiences from your life that entail being a consumer? Maybe a shopping addiction? Or shoplifting? Maybe you once bought something that actually made a big difference in your life. Or maybe you once spent a ton of money on something that turned out to be a huge mistake. Maybe you lived through a Black Friday fiasco. Or a new iPhone attaining saga. <laughs> Pitch us your stories at risk-show.com slash submissions. We'll be right back.
3: Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
0: Now here's the show. Folks, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Claude Dan Sean behind me now, and we're calling this week's episode The Ties That Bind. This is an extraordinary story we're featuring on the show today. We're going to take a little break for our sponsors about midway through the story, but it's just this one story on today's episode. Now, the topics of child abuse, sexual abuse, and suicidal ideation all play a role in this story, so be warned about that. This story is by Srinath Rajendran, it's Shri's first time sharing a story with us, and he was truly amazing to work with in telling such a powerful story. I mean, it is really an honor that people share with us like this, with so much heart and soul. And thanks to Taj Easton, who was the producer and editor who worked on this story. So without further ado, Here is Sri Rajendran with a story we call Bound and Unbound.
1: Was in uh, fourth grade at the time, living in Tampa, Florida. My dad, he's at work. And my mom, her name is Money. She's about five feet with wavy hair and skin that never seems to age. She was lying on her back on her bed, and she was pregnant at the time. She kept asking me, Shree, can you warm me a cup of milk? I wanted to help her. I wanted to take care of her. You know, she was my best friend. She was my confidant, and she always protected me whenever my dad would get into his occasional bursts of anger. But at that time, I desperately just wanted to go outside and play. So I was like, I'll go outside and play, and then I'll come back, and I'll warm you a cup of milk. So I left, came back after a few hours, and as soon as I opened the door, I saw my dad standing at the corner of the kitchen island. He's uh, about 5'3", looks a bit like Danny DeVito, He was staring me down like a lion looks at his prey, and his hands were clenched into fists. As soon as I closed the door and locked it, my dad ran over, picked me up, and carried me over to his bedroom, where he dropped me from his height onto the bed repeatedly. I was laughing hysterically, because I was like, oh man, my dad's finally playing with me. He's hanging out, because before Tampa, like he was always traveling around for work and He was always getting me some sort of, like, trinket on his way back, like a teddy bear or art supplies. So I thought he was the greatest father in the world. It wasn't until the fourth or fifth drop, when my back sort of started hurting, that I realized that my dad was actually trying to hurt me. So I stopped laughing, and he picked me up one more time and carried me over to his closet, which he opened and dropped me on the floor. And... I had this feeling that just coursed through my entire body. Kind of like that feeling when you like hit your funny bone, but like throughout my entire body. I was just shocked, you know? And my dad walked over to the other side of the room and took out some colored rope. And these were the same colored rope that we used to tie our luggage together when we came over from India. And he wrapped them around really tightly around my wrists and my ankles and told me to stay there. And then he closed the closet door and walked over to the kitchen. I couldn't see anything and all I could go off of was my hearing. I could hear my mom saying, hey, don't leave him in there too long. I was like, oh, my mom's there. So I was like, mom, help me, help me, please. And all I remember her saying was, Sri, be quiet or all the neighbors can hear. And my dad was talking to her and saying, he needs to learn his lesson to do what his mom asks and to respect his elders. I didn't shed a single tear when I was in there, but I felt my heart just break, like tear apart into a million pieces. Cause I thought the world of my mom, you know, she was my protector and she didn't even put up a fight. It just scared me so much to know that this was my dad. This was my real dad. The one that my mom was trying so hard to protect me from. But not anymore. It wasn't long after, while I was still in fourth grade, that my dad gave me this book called Vocabulary Cartoons that had these like uh, SAT words in there that used these cartoons and comics to make fun little visualizations that allow you to memorize the words easier. Like for example, the word minuscule. There's a picture of a mini school with a kid holding a magnifying glass to it. I thought it was kind of fun, you know, even interesting, until my dad said, Sri, you have the next two weeks to read this entire book and memorize it. I'm going to quiz you, and if you don't get a 90% or higher, I'm going to beat you. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, what the fuck? Like, it was just a few weeks ago that you threw me into a closet. Now this... I didn't know whether to believe him or not, but just to be on the safe side, every day after school, I'd come home and, you know, read the book a little bit more. Those two weeks just flew by. And I remember my dad pulling out these two foldable metal chairs onto the apartment balcony and him sitting across from me with his arms crossed. And he's this hairy, stout Indian man with a thick Indian accent. And he doesn't know that much English, yet alone these SAT words. And he's quizzing me. And so he starts off, Okay, Sri, tell me the definition of minuscule. And I was like, uh, it means tiny. And he goes, no, that is not what it means. The book says very small. Did you even read it? And I was like, dad, look, tiny and very small are basically the same thing. They're like uh, synonyms. Syno so, you know, what? Stop making up words. He ended up giving me a 40% when I knew I did way better. And... Before I could even think, my face was squished onto the concrete floor of the apartment balcony. And my dad's knees were on my back and neck and his hand was pushing my face in. And from the corner of my eye, I could see all his instruments of torture, like the belts and wooden stakes and ropes and metal bars, you know, as if he like had planned this entire thing and was expecting this outcome. And I remember him telling me, Shri. If you scream or shout, I will kill you, and no one will care. My entire body was shaking, tears were streaming out of my face, and I had trouble breathing with all the pressure on my back. And in between the cries, I managed to mutter out, "Apa, please, apa, dad. I, 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 I promise I'll be a better kid. I'll study. I'll, I'll study harder. This won't happen again. I promise. I'll do anything. Appa please, apa, please, apa. And when that didn't work, I tried calling out to my mom. I was like, Amma, Amma. Just hoping beyond all hope that, you know, maybe, just maybe, that she'd come and help me out. I don't remember much about that night, but I remember waking up the following morning with my entire body just aching. And I remember waking up, getting out of bed and looking at myself in the mirror and seeing all these bruises covering my entire body. Black, yellow, blue, green. I mean, you name it, it was probably on there. Except for my face. My dad made sure to not get bruises on my face to avoid arousing suspicion. And when I looked at my hands, they were the color purple. And when I tried to open doors, it just hurt. And so I would use my back. And even that hurt because the skin had just like peeled off. They just come off and it was just red. Even my bottom, like I couldn't even sit on any seat because... Like my ass was just so raw because it was like red, There's no skin on there, and it was just bleeding. My dad said, Sri, if you want to go to school, I'll take you, but you'll need to wear a long sleeve shirt and long pants. And you know, that ended up becoming a regular activity at least once every few months for almost like 10 years, if not more. Over the time, I, I, I just, my helplessness and hopelessness just grew by magnitudes. All I could think of was like suicide. I didn't have anyone to go to. My parents, I couldn't trust them. People in the Indian community who I reached out to and they're like, "Shri, you know, this is just a normal thing in Indian communities. You know, if you make sure you're a good kid and listen to your parents. And, you know, I was like, what the fuck? Eventually, you know, I got so used to the pain that all I could do was laugh. over time, I, I realized that my dad was just a super fickle man. and the smallest of things would just set off his rage. He could go from happy or amused to being angry like with the with the snap of a finger, you know and and it could be something that he remembered from work or maybe something that someone told him or something that you know he remembered from like 20 plus years ago that like suddenly makes him angry. And his punishments for me were never really like reasonable. He'd say, "Shri, I am angry with you because of the color of your shirt. You know, I'd just be wearing a yellow shirt and before I could even change my shirt or have the chance to, I'd be getting pummeled. Uh, or he'd say, "Shri, you put trash into the wrong trash can. And next thing I know, like he's using my favorite cricket bats and beating the shit out of me. One of his favorite pastimes, I, I suppose you can call it that, was, uh, you know, telling me to remove my clothes. And he'd say, "Shri, take off all your clothes. I bought them, so those are mine. And then he kicked me out of the house. And I would hide behind the bushes and the trees, like, in the side of the house. And at night, you know, I'd get hungry. So I would steal an orange or something from the neighbor's garden to eat. One thing that really pissed him off was me masturbating. He would tell me, "Shri, I have set up video cameras in your room and bathroom. I have video evidence of you masturbating. And I'm going to send those videos to your teachers and classmates. You know, stuff like that. I remember a particular night when I was sleeping, and my dad had silently snuck into my room. And even though I was sleeping, I could feel this sort of eerie presence in in my room and eyes just, you know, glaring at me. And I remember him walking over to my bed and lifting off the covers to try to catch me masturbating. And you know, I, I wasn't. but. My hands were sort of around my groin area and I guess, you know, this sort of triggered him or something. And so he started pinching me to try to get me awake. And, you know, I I, I did my best to ignore him and pretended like I was still sleeping. And when he saw that, you know, this wasn't working, he then kicked me on my ass and my ribs. This was painful, you know, I I couldn't ignore it anymore. And so I, I turned around to face him and he just stared at me and said, Get up now and follow me. And I followed him all like groggily and like barely awake. And he led me into the garage. And I could see he had all these like Home Depot wooden stakes lying next to the water heater. And he said, Shri, remove all your clothes and stand there. And I used my cans to cover my penis. And he said, if you cover them, I will cut off your hands and then he took one of the wooden stakes and just stabbed me in my balls and started laughing like a maniac and said, ha ha ha, look at your balls. They look like an 80 year old man's, nasty. He then ordered me to lie on my chest on the cold hard ground and my body was just shivering and it was just tense. And he just choked me as hard as he could without killing me and said, you don't deserve to live. I wish you were dead because you are an embarrassment and I'm ashamed of you. Then he took one of the wooden stakes and tried to push it as far up my anus as he could, but I clenched my butt muscles with all my strength and I remember him saying, this is what Indian police do to criminals like you. And this ended up happening like multiple times. I remember this particular night when my dad came home extremely upset. He sat me down in his office room, or what I call his torture room. He said, Shree, I am upset. You've been spending too much time on Facebook and not enough time studying, and you've been masturbating too much. And I just remember thinking, like, you know, it's just this normal spiel, normal bullshit. He's probably angry about something else. And besides, like, my grades are mostly A's and some B's. Like, what the fuck is he complaining about? He said, go do something else and come back in 15 minutes. When I did, I saw that he had his like mattress and pillow and everything kind of set up on his floor. And on his office desk was a styrofoam cup. And he said, okay, go ahead and look into it. And when I did, there was this yellow liquid. It was his urine, my fat dad's fucking urine. It smelled like fucking like protein and rotten eggs. I remember him telling me, Shri, you need to drink that entire cup or you can't go to sleep. And you have to stand up the entire time until you do. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) What is this bullshit? Is he being serious? Turns out he was. So I I just ended up standing there from like 9pm to like maybe around 4am-ish the following morning. It was a school night. And you know, I, I was just standing there. I was like, no way I'm gonna like fall for this bullshit. I'm not gonna do this. But eventually I, you know, I, I I thought to myself, holy shit, like I have a test this morning, and if I don't get at least a little bit of sleep, I'm gonna fucking bomb it. And if I bomb it, then you know, my dad's gonna beat the shit out of me. So, you know, <laughs> lose lose. You know, I, I drink his urine or I fucking fail the test, I don't know. It it's it fucking sucked either way. So I, I sucked it up, I I drank his urine while my dad watched intently, gleaming with pride, as if like I just cured cancer or something. And, uh, you know, had an hour of sleep, went to bed. And then uh, two days later, on another school day, my dad calls me into the office room. He has the exact same setup on the floor with his mattress and phone and everything like that. And on his desk is another styrofoam cup. But this time there's a lid. And he says, "Shri, go ahead and open the lid and look inside. I have a present for you. And I look inside and it's his feces along with the toilet bowl water and he gives me the same instruction he says uh shri i want you to eat the entire poop and drink the liquid and until you do you have to stay standing and you can't go to bed i was like fuck no i'm not doing this shit i'm not gonna do anything like this so i ended up standing up the entire night from like 9 p.m until like 6 a.m the following morning and ended up going to school This is just a small glimpse into my childhood and early adulthood. And this environment is basically what my siblings were born into. A brother named Shiva, who looks exactly like me, and our mom, who is quiet and charismatic, and a sister named Shreya, you know, she looks a bit like her dad, but nowhere near as menacing. She's smart, and she's really hardworking. They're fraternal twins, they love playing tennis, they love hanging out with friends, they love listening to all the new hip hop and rap and trying to teach me about pushing key. Uh, I still don't know what that means. And you know, they, they always fight, but they, at the end of the day, they always have each other's backs. You know, growing up, like, I just, I didn't really care much for them cause I was older than them by like more than 10 years. And I didn't want to really be more like a, an accessory parent. Cause like, you know, like as soon as they were born our dad fucked off to India for months and like leaving my mom and me to like take care of them. And we had no family support. And I would have to, you know, change their diapers and feed them. And basically, you know, I was basically like a second parent for them. And, you know, I had my own problems to deal with and I just wanted to get the fuck out. I did have like a great deal of like guilt and empathy for them, because like for them, their sort of abuse started when they were just like four or five years old, because their dad, you know, he would always tell them things like how he never wanted them and how they shouldn't be alive. I mean, shit, could you imagine telling a four or five year old that they should go and kill themselves? I mean, it's crazy. And I just felt completely powerless to do anything to help them because every time I would stand in between my dad and my siblings, I would get the brunt of his anger and he would like direct it all towards me. And I was already beat up like most of the time. Who was like supposed to go to to my mom, who I used to look up to. You know, she just watched from the sidelines and sometimes even take part in the action. And according to my parents, like every Indian household was exactly like ours where kids would get beat up, you know, if they weren't good. But even then I I, I knew that our parents went above and beyond compared to other families. And I thought about calling the police many times, but I just couldn't live with myself to tear my my family apart and allow for like the Indian community, like social stigma to kind of, you know, basically say, hey, we're all bad kids for complaining to the police about our parents. I eventually got a small break from all the abuse when I uh, started my undergrad at the University of South Florida, about 10 miles away from home. And I started as a pre-med, because my parents, just like most other Indian parents, basically honed into me, you know, you gotta become a doctor or you're a failure. You know, it was an extremely confusing part of my life because it was the first time I sort of got a breathe, And I got to see all these kids and parents who weren't fucked up, parents telling their kids, I love you, telling them to go follow their dreams, I also clung on to any bits of friendliness that I could find in the hopes that I could find some security or love somewhere. I eventually took the MCAT, you know, the medical college entrance exam. and But I was too immature and I just wasn't ready for it because I had all these dark thoughts in my head. And the best thing that I ever did for myself was move away as far as I could for work. And I stopped talking to my dad and I eventually stopped talking to my mom over a much longer period of time because I kept hoping that maybe I could have some sort of semblance of family, but eventually realized that she was just an extension of my father. Around 2019, my dad got this idea in his head that he was going to move the entire family to India. He's going to get my siblings to become doctors there and get them arranged married by the time they become 23. I guess this was because I didn't become a doctor myself and live out his weird fantasy. I don't know, I'll probably never find out. But from 2019 to 2021, during the pandemic, he would force my siblings to take these practice tests in prep for the Indian med school entrance exam called the NEET. N-E-E-T, and he would give it to them like every two or three days or so, and then grade them. He would also force them to take these like neat Zoom classes with all these teachers from India whom they could hardly understand. And this was all on top of their regular high school work and their duties as tennis team captains. And um, if my siblings didn't get a 90% or higher on these practice tests, my dad would sit them down in his office room and scream at them for hours. Just knowing all of this was happening just like tore me apart inside, having to see this process just repeat and having to watch from the sidelines. It eventually came to a head in 2021 when I flew down from Boston to Tampa for my sibling's high school graduation. I remember opening the door to our house and the air inside had this weird sort of, I guess, texture or feeling to it. And I remember my mom rushing over and giving me this huge bear hug. And she was like, "Shree, I'm so happy to see you. Shiva and Shreya are going to be graduating soon. They're so excited. And my dad gave me this hug and he said, I love you for the first time ever. It just felt weird. It felt icky. And like, I knew it wasn't real. My parents were like acting like everything was all good. Everything's fine. And behind this veil that they'd put up, I could see that my siblings looked absolutely disheveled. They looked like they had just woken up from bed. They looked like they weren't ready. It just felt weird. And for what should be a joyous, momentous occasion, you know, a high school graduation, it's a big deal. You know, after we'd gone to the graduation, came back, my siblings pulled me aside to their room, and they said, Sri, we can't take it anymore. All our friends get to live their lives and get to go to college and stay home. And we have to go to India. Like we, we told mom and dad hundreds of times that we don't want to go there and become doctors. We, we have no interest. We just want to have normal lives. We don't know what you can do, but if there's anything at all, please. I didn't know what to say or do. My chest just kind of clenched up and it felt weird because I mean, What could I do for two 17 year olds? How am I supposed to take care of them? You know, I could barely take care of myself most days. I don't really have any power to help them really. But at the same time, I kind of realized that if I didn't do anything for my siblings or help them out in any way, my dad would win. He would get to take both of his kids and make them live out his weird med school doctor fantasy in another country where he would get to reign supreme and have complete control over their lives and uh you know he doesn't have to abide by american laws anymore while well, i tried to convince my parents many times before that this was a terrible plan i tried to give it one last go while i was there so i pulled my dad from the office room and my mom from the kitchen and we sat down together at the dining room table and i remember telling my dad look this is a terrible idea shiva and Shreya don't have any interest in medicine and they don't want to be forced to go to India. And I remember my dad saying, Sri, look, no one is forcing anyone to do anything, okay? Shiva and Shreya have been telling me from a very young age that they've always been interested in medicine. They want to be doctors. I don't know where you're getting these stupid ideas from, okay? And besides, mom and I know what's best for them. You're too young to understand. But, Mom and I are here to help you, to love you, and we will always be here to support you. And they kept droning on, you know, all their lies and excuses. And as they did, I could feel my teeth clenching and my blood start to boil. You know, I just wanted to let them have it. I wanted to fucking scream and I wanted to punch my dad, but I knew it would be pointless. You know, it was just like talking to a brick wall. Later that night, Shreya came into my room and grabbed me by the arm and she led me to her room where Shiva was sitting on the bed. And I remember we were just like looking around the corners to make sure our parents weren't listening in on us, which they normally do as they like to spy on us. And she silently closed the door and I could just see into their eyes and they seemed so sad and yet somehow also a bit grateful, you know, and I I remember Shreya saying, Actually, these past few days were the best time we've had in like two years. I, and I know you can't really do much, but it just felt nice knowing that our big brother was here and that we had someone who was on our side for once. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks, you know? Like, I just felt like I, I wanted to cry. I wanted to help them, but I didn't know how. So I, I, I told him, look, I don't know what I can do now you guys are 17, but once you're 18, I promise I'll come to India and I'll get you guys back." I don't know if I actually believed those words, but just for a moment, I could see a glimmer of hope in their eyes. Less than two weeks after I left back for Boston, my parents packed up everything, including the family dog, and left for India to our grandma's house in the southeasternmost state of India called Nadu. This was literally at the peak of the COVID pandemic in, like, May of 2021. And this house, I mean, it means a lot to me. Like, it's where I grew up for the first three years of my life. The house was built, I think, in, like, the 1950s by our grandparents. And it was newly renovated to include, like, a carport and have a second floor for, like, our dad's, like, office room and things like that. You know, it's just a place with all these other smaller houses and a lot of farms in the area, like for coconut trees and sugar cane and banana trees. You know, there's all these people there who uh, most of them are are mom's relatives. There's also all these like chickens and cows and stray dogs and even some snakes that just kind of roam about. There's a nearby paper mill where, you know, you can kind of smell the chemicals in the air and you can hear the whistle which signals the shift change for all the workers every few hours or so. You know, this village is basically in a very collectivist, patriarchal society where everybody's up in like everyone else's business. Like, you know, everyone wants to know what's going on next door, right? And the man is the head of the household. You know, and this is where my siblings were. They had no friends there. No one was on their side except maybe our grandma who barely knew what was going on. They didn't know how to speak the language, the native language of Tamil, and they didn't have any money to themselves. And so basically, they were in like this foreign jail cell from like May to November of 2021. While my siblings were in India, they would try to contact me through WhatsApp. They would try to do that by going to the bathroom or hiding behind their beds, anywhere they could like... Be away from our parents prying eyes. I remember there was this one night when Shreya called me on the phone and I could just hear her voice quivering in fear as she said, "Shri, dad just went crazy. He's been throwing plates off his second floor roof and he's been running down the stairs and mom, grandma and Shiva and I, we locked ourselves behind the doors and he's trying to break in and we're just so scared. We don't know what to do. Could you come and get us? We, we don't, what, what do we do? And man, after hearing that, like I, damn, I, I was just a mess. There was all these questions swirling around in my brain. Like, how am I supposed to go there and get them? Am I supposed to spend thousands of dollars just fly over there and fly back and the small possibility that I can even get them? Especially considering our parents are monitoring them like hawks. I barely speak the fricking language and how are they going to get their passports, which are like locked away in some cabinet? What would happen if I don't go? Maybe they'll be fine or, you know, maybe if I do somehow get them back, how the hell am I going to feed them? How am I going to clothe them? How am I going to house them? You know, it was just, it was just boggling my fucking mind. About a week after their 18th birthday in like early November, 2021, I got a series of these like desperate texts from my siblings. And they basically said like, Sri, mom and dad are planning to send us off to different cities to these neat coaching centers where they want us to study for a whole other year and then take the test again because we didn't, we didn't do so hot this year. And there's gonna be all these other teachers closely monitoring us every day of every hour. What do we do? my immediate reaction was, well fuck, (laughs) what do I do, you know, and my heart was playing tug of war with my brain because my heart was like, let's go, we can do this, and my brain was like, hold the fuck on, you know, it was trying to be more logical, and all these questions that I had before, you know, just came back in full force, like, how do I do this, do I have any friends who I, who can help me? How do I figure out the logistics, right? And um, I realized that the longer I waited, the less of a chance that I would be able to go and get them. I I was hesitant, but I, I also remembered my promise to them. Once you're 18, I promise I'll come to India and I'll get you guys back. And then I asked myself two questions. One, would this be the right thing to do? And two, would I regret for the rest of my life not going and trying to help my siblings when I had the chance? And the answer to both was yes. So I was like, well, shit, you know, this is my chance. At least while they're in grandma's village, they know where their passports are so they can somehow gain access to their passports by using her grandma and getting the passports. But if they're in these like, you know, coaching centers or wherever, our parents probably would move their passport to some bank or something and just make it way harder because they'd be in different cities. And if I get one sibling, then the other sibling would get locked down because then the proctors, like they would communicate and they'd be like, oh shit, like everything's going down. We need to hide away the other sibling. So I was like, if there is a chance, this is it. So I, I booked a flight and I flew from boston and landed in india november 12th of 2021 we'll be right back relationships are hard and that's why i'm here Hey friend, it's Cami Crawford. Think of me as your big sister slash audible BFF that you can always trust to give you the real tea. This is my show Relationship, the advice podcast that covers all relationship topics. Send your story to Hello at or DM me at relationship on IG and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Listen and follow Relationship with Cammy Crawford on the free Odyssey app
4: or wherever you get your podcasts. Selling a little or a lot? And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey.
1: got there Friday afternoon and landed in the closest city called Coimbatore, uh, which is about a three hour drive from her grandma's village, and as soon as I landed, I worked out how to get an Indian SIM card and a phone number, and once I had those in hand, I contacted my siblings and was like, hey, what time and day works best for me to come and get you guys? And they said, "Sure, tomorrow, Saturday, 10am would work best because usually, we get to spend about half an hour in the backyards in the farms with grandma. And once I had that set up, I called up a driver service to try to get a car and a driver to pick me up the following morning at 6am. I barely slept that night, and I remember waking up the following morning that Saturday and standing outside the hotel waiting for the driver to come. And he did arrive, he came on his motorbike, and I was like, yo, like, where's the car? And he goes, oh no, you're supposed to bring the car. I'm just a driver for hire. And I was like, oh my gosh, fuck me. But I was lucky because, you know, I I was staying at a hotel right next to the Coimbatore Airport and there were all these like other car rental companies nearby, so we ended up going to this car rental company, signing the papers. The company rep pulled out this like small, compact, white Hyundai car that had all these dents, nearly flat tires, and there's barely any gas in the tank. And I remember getting in, and I told the driver to just book it. While we were, you know, going over and trying to fill everything up, we realized, like, that the company had set the speed limiter to a maximum of, like, 80 kilometers an hour, uh, which is basically, like, 50 miles an hour, which is, like, barely anything. You know, it's India, and we're on a rescue mission. 50 miles an hour? That's fucking ridiculous! You know, we didn't have enough time to get another car, and we just had to go. So. On the way over, I kind of connected with the driver. We talked about the state of affairs in the state and like how all the farms were being uprooted and all the stones and everything were being sold to other states. After a while, I kind of felt comfortable enough to explain my situation to him. And I was like, hey, look, my dad is bad. I'm gonna be getting my siblings out, rescuing them. They're gonna be running towards the car and we're gonna have to park in my grandma's village away from everybody else. And I remember him saying, sir, We'll get them out. When we reached the rendezvous point, we parked the car inside some farmlands and behind some trees, and then we pointed the front of the car towards the road for an easier escape. I texted my siblings, sent them some pictures, and they responded back saying that they had everything packed, they got their passports with their grandma's help, and were just waiting for our parents to leave the area and look the other way. And, you know, I was looking through the windows and I couldn't really see much. And I remember the driver rolling his down and scrolling through TikTok while we waited. That moment, I just felt so surreal, you know? I I just had so much cortisol and adrenaline pumping through my veins. You know, I could feel my heartbeat in my eardrums and my eyes were wide and alert, searching for my siblings. And I felt immensely, like, anxious and, like, really afraid. But at the same time, I felt calm and ready, like, as if I had, like, you know, I'd somehow prepared my entire life for this moment. And so I got out of the car and I decided to scope out the area just to get a better understanding of my surroundings and try to corral my siblings toward the car if I saw them. I started walking down the small road and the smells of sugarcane and the nearby paper mill and cow manure and coconuts just filled my nostrils and made me feel nostalgic because, you know, I, I grew up there in that village for the first three years of my life with my mom and grandma before I moved to the States. As I was walking down the road, I could hear two motorcycles coming towards me. So I hid behind a small well on the side of the road and one of the motorcycles went past me and the other one stopped right next to me. And the guy gets off and he looks at me and he's like, aren't you Money's son? What are you doing here? Why are you hiding? While I was talking to him, I realized that he thought I was my brother. And so I, I I responded, you know, I was like, hey, look, I'm just taking a piss, I'm about to go home, everything's all good. He looked at me confused, but he just rode off. So I booked it back to the car and stayed inside until I saw my brother and sister a few minutes later huffing and puffing down the road with bags in their hands. They looked absolutely exhausted and panicked and they were completely covered in sweat. And so I got out of the car, I opened the trunk They put their luggage in and they both got inside. As soon as they got in the car, Shreya looked at me and she was like, Shree, they took our bag, they took our bag. I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, we were walking behind the house and running with our suitcases and grandma and her friend were in the back and they started questioning us. We lied, we said, we're we're taking all the bags and we're meeting the family driver in the back. And grandma's friend didn't believe us and she ripped the suitcase from my hands. And I was like, okay, well, what's the big deal? You know, you have your passports, right? And Shreya goes, no, our passports are in that suitcase. And I was like, fuck, what do we do now? Shiva gets out of the car and he runs to try to get the bag back. And I remember standing in the middle of the road, in between wherever my brother had left, trying to see if I can keep an eye on him. And while I was waiting, the guy from that motorcycle who questioned me from before came back and he stood in front of the car, as well as the village milkman. They looked absolutely furious, and they were like, Who are you? Why are you kidnapping that girl? And they were like banging on the hood of the car. The driver, he just responded back really calmly. He was like, Wait until the big brother comes back. About a minute or two after, Shiva came back with the suitcase in hand. Somehow, in all this confusion, while I was keeping an eye out for Shiva, The guy on the motorcycle had gone back and brought my grandma. And while Shiva was getting into the car, my grandma was standing in the middle of the road with tears just welling up in her eyes. And she looked up at me and she said in Tamil, my son, what is going on? And my grandma is probably the last person in my family who still loves me, you know, apart from my siblings. And I hadn't seen her in years. And I knew if I was to go through with this rescue mission, I'd probably never see her again because I knew with absolute certainty that my dad would do terrible things to her in retaliation like he's done to her in the past. Like breaking her nose or making her bleed. He would make sure that she could never see me again. I wanted to hug her. I wanted to explain the whole situation even though she probably wouldn't understand. I wanted to kiss her and I wanted to tell her that everything would be okay. But I just couldn't. I had two other people that needed to help and I had no time. I got back in the car and the villagers, the milkman and the motorcycle dude, once they realized that I was their older brother, they gave us a little space and we left. And I, you know, I had tears welling up in my eyes, but there was nothing that I could do. I didn't want her last memory of me to be so painful. And my inner child was just hurt beyond any words but at the same time, I was happy that I got my siblings. As we booked it out of the village, the driver looked at my siblings and said, you guys need to take out your SIM cards right now. And then he looked at me and said, you need to book a flight out of here. People like your dad have connections and they can easily find you and me. I've never done anything like this before and I'm so scared, but if this is all to be worth it, you guys need to get out of here as soon as possible. And in the passenger seat, I mean, I was scared myself, but I knew at that moment, I couldn't have two kids and the driver all panicking at the same time. So while I was trying to comfort my siblings, I looked at him, the driver, and I said, look, if my dad tries to contact you, just call me and I'll take care of it. During the three hour drive to the Coimbatore airport, I ended up booking a flight to Mumbai that night so we could catch our international flight. And then once we reached the airport, we dropped my siblings off at the front and then we went off to drop the car and while the driver and i were walking back towards the airport he said i will never forget you sir but i think i deserve a decent tip and i ended up giving him most of my uh the cash that i had in my wallet while shiva shraya and i were waiting at the front of the airport to try to talk to a service rep to try to figure out if we needed to get paper tickets to enter the airport there were these two men who approached us and they were both wearing dress shirts and pants like they just got out of work and one of them was carrying a phone in his hand he approached me and he pointed at me and said are you shiva and Shreya looked at me grabbed my arm and said shri i recognize him they're dad's friends employees who manage the neat coaching center in the city and it was clear by that point that our dad knew we were at the airport so he'd sent men after us to stall us And the guy who had the phone looked at me and said, your dad called us, we understand your situation. He's on the phone, you wanna talk to him? And I ignored them once I found out we could just get our paper tickets inside and we ran in. And as we passed the one policeman standing guard outside the airport, we went past security and we sat at the far end of the airport trying to avoid being noticed by anyone else. While we were sitting in the back of the airport, we had about two hours until we could board our flight from Coimbatore to another city and then on to Mumbai that Saturday night. And while we were waiting, I told my siblings, look, you guys wait here and I'm gonna go around the corner and charge my phone because it's only at like 20% charged. And no more than like five minutes passed when Shreya came running around the corner looking scared. And she said, Sri, we need you right now. And when I turned the corner, I found a police officer sitting right next to them. And my fight or flight response was already in high gear. But seeing the police officer, I was like, yo, (laughs) this is fucking crazy. And my heart started pounding again and my chest tightened up even more. And I was struggling to breathe. And I sat in between him and my siblings and I kind of muttered with these like raspy breaths. I was like, what do you want? And he looked at me and said, I'm the assistant commissioner for Koimathur. And your dad has filed a police report alleging that you kidnapped your siblings. And then he showed me his phone and said, my boss is on the line and we just want to ask you guys one question. Just one. He handed the phone to my siblings and they just asked him, do you guys consent to going with your brother? And they both said yes. And then the commissioner stood up and he said, that's all we need to know. And he left. And standing around the corner was, I I guess his bodyguard. I mean, this dude was ripped he had muscles coming out of his like every pore. I just remember thinking to myself like, holy shit, this could have been a lot worse. After that whole incident in Coimbatorea, we boarded our flight and got to Mumbai that Saturday night. I remember as soon as we hit the hotel, my siblings were fast asleep. It was probably the first time in a long time they probably had a good night's rest, you know? And I just remember feeling so proud of like how far we had come and I was just glad that I could be there to protect them. The following day on that Sunday after we got tested for COVID, We just had a a lot of time in front of the airport to just kind of kill and debrief. I remember Shreya telling me, Shriya, I can't believe we got this far. It's just so crazy how far mom and dad are willing to go to try and capture us. Imagine if they put in like just half the effort in trying to like listen to us and maybe actually be good parents. And I remember Shiva nodding and they both kept thanking me. It was probably the first time in a long time that I'd actually seen their like true smiles. While we were still hanging out in front of the airport, I remember getting a call on my Indian phone number and it was my cousin from Mumbai. And he was like, your mom's in Mumbai. I was like, well, fuck, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. They're still following us. And I was like, you know what? Let me just wait a little bit longer for our COVID test results and then we'll go inside. And a few hours passed, Shiva Shreya and I we were at the edge of the airport away from all these other people. There was this taxi driver at the far end. He saw me, he pointed, And he starts yelling in Marathi and I have no idea what he's saying, but my gut feeling was like, holy shit, we're in fucking danger. And so I was like, all right, you guys, we're gonna get inside the airport. We don't have our results yet, but we need to get into safety somewhere. And so we booked it inside the airport to like the far end in like the corner away from as many people as we could. And we sat on this like sort of pillow rotunda and we weren't there too long before like these three policemen came over and sat down right next to us. They each had like a notepad and a pen in their hands and they kept looking up at us and writing stuff down. And it felt like forever, but it was really for like a minute or two. A- and then they just got up and left. And then we were just standing there like, what the fuck happened, you know? <laughs> and um, I got a call on my Indian phone number and I was like, who the fuck is this? Cause the only people who have that number is like the driver, my siblings, and my cousin. The first call was my cousin's dad in Mumbai. And I was like, I am not picking this up. And then the second call was from my dad's multi-millionaire friend named RK who owns this like textile factory in the nearby town and i didn't want to pick up that call either but i knew in my heart that this dude RK was the one who has been helping my dad like get all the connections and send all the police officers over so i was like maybe just maybe if i talk to him i can talk him out of like helping my dad so i i pick up the call Talking to him just felt like talking to like a stereotypical Indian man because he wasn't listening to me. He kept talking over me. And then like for everything, he was just like, why don't you just come back home and we can talk it out, you know, and discuss it diplomatically. You know, eventually I just fucking snapped and I was like, uncle, what the fuck? You know, that might be your fucking best friend, but that dude has been abusing us for years. You don't fucking understand. I need to get Shiva and Shreya out of here. And you know, my voice was raspy and I was fighting back tears at that point. And there's this silence on the other end of the phone for like what felt like a, a minute before he finally kind of piped up and he was like, you guys have a safe flight, bye. And then he hung up. Once we were eventually past security, it was around like 9 p.m. at night and we had about like three hours or so to kill before 1 a.m. boarding time. I got a cup of coffee and my siblings got some McDonald's and we sat at this corner table and there were people sitting all around us just talking and there was a smell of like masala chicken burgers in the air and we felt like maybe we were kind of in the clear now you know we got our COVID negative results and we got into this like major airport that's protected by federal police so we felt like maybe you know there were these two major barriers working in our favor And so I kind of relaxed a little bit and felt my body just release all the tension I'd been holding in for several days. But while we were eating and chilling, my brother just kind of stood up out of nowhere. His eyes just got wide and his hands were positioned in front of him, kind of like a a meerkat and all the color just rushed out of his face. And I was like, yo, what's wrong? And he said, I think I see mom. And we turned our heads and we saw both our mom and our dad with luggage in tow. And my dad had his hands clasped together in like a praying motion and just said, I'm begging you. And I just remember feeling so ashamed and so like disgusted at seeing them. I was like, man, the extent that they would go to to try and find us and capture us, I mean, it's fucking ridiculous, right? And all the tension and the fear that left my body before, it just came back in full force. And, and my siblings and I, we were, I mean, we were just so exhausted at that point. We didn't want to deal with them. So we just stood up and we booked it to the far end of the airport away from all the people who were watching us. We expected our parents to follow us, but for some reason they didn't. And while we were sitting at like the far corner of the airport away from everybody else, Shiva just starts like shaking. Like he just got out of this like ice cold bath and, and Shreya's voice starts trembling. And she asked me, like, Shree, like, mom and dad, they followed us all the way here. Do you think they're gonna follow us all the way back to Boston too? And you know, I, I, I was like trying to calm them down the best I could. And I was like, yo, you guys are 18 and you're US citizens. There's literally nothing they can do legally. And even if they're on our flight for some reason, like we'll just talk to the air hostesses and like, we'll be fine. And so I was like, yo, like, let me just get up and maybe I'll try to find a police officer And if I explain our situation, like maybe they can stall mom and dad. So I went off to trying to find a police officer. And while I went off, I saw, you know, our parents go down the same terminal our flight was to depart from. And when I looked at the TV, I saw our flight, the British Airways to London Heathrow at 2 a.m. And then I saw Air India to London Heathrow uh, at 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. And that's when it sort of hit me like, holy shit, like our dad's best friend, the super rich like dude named RK. He knows the general manager of Air India at the Mumbai Airport. And that's probably how our parents got in so quickly. We waited until the very last minute to board our flight, just in case, like we had to like interact with our parents or saw them in the like the same like boarding area. And once we got on, we were split up due to the like the last-minute flight change. And We kept looking around to see if maybe they were like sitting around us or where they might be and only when the doors were closed and like the flight had taken off and I was able to walk down both aisles that we finally kind of felt safe and when I sat down in my seat like I was just out man like you know I hadn't slept in like three days and all the adrenaline that was pumping in my veins like Just full body like shut down and I was out cold from Mumbai to Boston. But like for my siblings, I could only imagine like what was going on in their heads, right? Like they were leaving the only support they had known their entire fucking lives for a future that was so like uncertain. And you know, they didn't know what the financial situation was going to be like or what sort of support they might have. They would have to mature and become adults a lot sooner than they were expecting to and they wouldn't have a home to go to, no nuclear family, a shit ton of anxiety. But somewhere deep down in my heart, I knew that they're probably hopeful that their future would be brighter than the one they were leaving behind. Once we got back to Boston, I had to like really quickly find a place for all of us to live. I had to spend a shit ton of money buying like winter clothes and all the necessities and everything that they couldn't bring over from India. And you know, I had to help them find jobs and apply for colleges and you know set them up with credit. And our parents eventually like contacted us and it took them almost like two weeks after we got back to Boston. And they said if we came back to India for just like a week, they'd pay for Shiva and Shri's college expenses. And when we saw right through that and were like, that's a bunch of bullshit and we didn't respond, they sent us a bunch of pictures and videos of her grandma in a hospital bed and said, oh, she's dying and you know she only has less than a month to live. And if we didn't come back to India, we would never see her again. And my mom then added like, oh, if you're not gonna do her funeral rites, who's gonna do mine? You know, it was just another lie. After months of more lies followed by like months of silence, I finally thought maybe we were in the clear until Shaya called me out of the blue one day when I was working. And it was like April, 2022. And she said, "'Tree, I just started my shift to Starbucks at 2 p.m. and mom and dad, they showed up and with baggage and they've been here since 11 a.m.' What ended up happening was that our parents showed up along with our family friend, who's this professor at MIT and this private investigator, this like ex-Boston cop of like 30 years. And they served her paperwork saying like, oh, you know, all three of you guys are due in court in India for like some human rights abuse case. We supposedly stole thousands of dollars worth of cash and jewelry from our grandma when we were in India. Soon after that, like the private investigator came to my workplace and he gave me the same paperwork. And he said, and I quote, Interpol is on your case. And when I got back home that night, I found out he also placed a bunch of paperwork under our door. And when I looked into it a little bit further, I found out like, you know, there's no signatures on there, no stamps. There's a lot of grammatical errors. And it seemed like something my dad would just type up. And I found out, you know, it was just another plot by our parents to try to get us back to India. And not only that, but my dad had also emailed my company CEO head of HR and all these other executives and investors at my company uh, falsely alleging that I had bipolar disorder and schizophrenia and I needed to be arrested in India. And I just felt so sick to my stomach, man. Like just to see the extents to which our dad would go and try to manipulate us and and seeing our mom just follow suit, you know, it just kind of reaffirmed to me, like I couldn't trust them. And this was the best decision I could make, bringing my siblings back and trying to distance ourselves from them. Soon after, I I, I left my workplace. I ended up getting a restraining order against my dad. I went on a month long road trip to kind of celebrate. I got my siblings into college and I was able to somehow find another job. But that still hasn't stopped my dad from, like, paying people in India to harass me on WhatsApp and telling anyone and everyone willing to listen that I still kidnapped my siblings and, you know, I'm holding them hostage. And he still continues to send me mail with threats. What people can't really see, even my siblings, is how much I'm still struggling on the inside. You see, when there's more than 20 years of repressed anger towards my parents, it all condenses into the sort of ball that doesn't have a proper vent or outlet. And over time, This ball has transformed itself like sand into glass and just hardened and became pure fury, pure rage. The rage is sometimes so intense. I'm furious at my parents for not believing in me, not hearing me, not seeing me. I'm furious for how many times that they've told me that I'm unlovable and unwanted. No one ever protected me, even in the slightest. And leaving me with the burden of having to take care of my siblings and somehow like support them like financially and emotionally. And, and I'm furious at the Indian people for allowing such an abusive and intrusive and patriarchal culture to exist that allows for people like my dad to flourish in it, to thrive, And and, and I'm so angry at the world for no one stepping in to help save me from my dad's blows, or at the very least, just have someone, you know, just speak up for me. But underneath all this rage is a child that's locked away in a cage that's hurting. He wants to be seen, to be heard, to be wanted and accepted. He, he, he wants someone, anyone, to just believe in him and tell him that he's not completely worthless. He wants to be held in someone's arms and be told that no one will ever, ever hurt him again. He wants to see his grandma one last time, but more than anything, he just wants to be loved even if it's for a minute, just to know what it feels like. While I still have all these terrible feelings, there's also all these other good feelings, like hope that push me back from the brink, and these good feelings are like this small flicker of light that may have gotten smaller over the years, but they've never completely gone away, even in my darkest of moments. And, That light has grown bigger. After I got my siblings out and, you know, we cut all contact with our parents and it's allowed me for the first time in my life to try and heal that inner child. I've started therapy and started doing things I actually like, like playing street hockey and taking classes in improv and stand up and meeting all these new people through these, like, other groups. And I've surrounded myself with more support than I've ever had with my siblings and all my friends, some old, some new, even family friends. You know, it it might not be the family that I was initially born with, but it's the family that I have. And I'm so incredibly proud and grateful for that. Last year, after I'd sent my siblings off to college and became an empty nester, I got a text from Shiva that said, Hey, Shri, Shreya and I are off to play tennis. Check your drawer under the books. And when I looked inside, I, I found a card with a picture of three baby chicks at a beach on the front. And they were labeled Shreya, Shri, and Shiva. And when I opened it, it said, Happy birthday, Shri. Thank you for everything. I never thought I'd be going back to the state for college and be able to make my own choices, but you made that happen for us. P.S. I hope you find true love someday. I smiled and went on a walk to take it in. They were free to play tennis and free to follow their dreams and choose their careers they were actually interested in and free to choose their own friends and make their own choices. And it was because of what I did I stood up to our father's tyranny and broke that cycle of control. I took a deep breath and I left to go do whatever the fuck I wanted to do.
0: risk this is the velvet underground behind me now and we just heard from shri rajendran who is also working on a memoir about much of what he covered in that story and more so we wish him the very best with that and again thanks to taj easton for his work on that story with shri This seems like a story that might be interesting to have a recorded conversation about with a therapist or a social worker or someone who might have specifically studied or have experience with cases somewhat similar to Shri's in any way. So if anyone listening feels like they might be a good fit for that, just let me know. Just reach out to me at at KevinAtRisk-Show.com. Well, folks, listen, if risk were to have to throw in the towel, it would be such a loss because we're able to bring such unique programming to you, like that difficult but important story that Shri shared. And week by week, month by month, whether we really foresee that we can, keep on keeping on, it all still hangs very precariously in the balance. Everyone on staff is hoping for the best and working for the best. But I'd be lying if I said we're not also having to consider how we might have to go about things if the ship goes down. I mean, for 15 years we have been through so many big ups and downs and terrible scares, huge setbacks. We've had to be innovative and experimental and daring to keep the show running for 15 years. (laughs) It's always kind of been like guerrilla warfare, you know? So we've got all hands on deck, determined to keep it going. But we very, very dearly and desperately need as much financial support as we possibly can get from our listeners. And the best ways to help us out are to become a member at patreon.com slash risk, or to increase your donation amount there. If you're already a member, our latest Patreon bonus story is from Jamie Brickhouse. And one of them says to the other, what do you think it is, a boy or a girl? As if I were an uncomprehending animal. And the other one said, beats me. And they laughed. And the worst part of that humiliating moment was the shame I felt about myself because I didn't stand up for myself. I didn't say anything. That and so much more at patreon.com slash risk. And another way you can support us is to make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash risk show. Or if you have other ideas of how to help us out, I am at Kevin at risk dash show.com. Reach out and talk to me. Thank you so much, everyone. We could not be more grateful for your support. We'll be right back.
2: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing, whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
0: We're back. Folks, on Thursday, we'll feature three truly remarkable stories in an episode called The Best of Self-Help Stories, some true classics on that episode, and it's well worth recommending to friends. But that's Thursday. And folks, today's the day. Take a risk.